You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Man, the Gateway Church, this is my first time here. I have been to South Haven, Grand Haven, uh, never been to a church over here, so I am super, super excited. And I really want to start out by just thanking, thank you, Pastor Ben, thank you, Pastor Bruce, not only uh, for bringing me in, but for having a missions emphasis week. Um, And I say this without... um, without trying to be critical of other churches. I say this with the purest of intention, but come on, we are part of the assemblies of God. Like the two feet that we stand on is like our Pentecostal heritage and our missions giving. Like this is in our blood. This is in our heritage. And again, I say this with the purest of heart, but one of, there's so many joys that come with being the speed, the light directors for the state of Michigan. And something that I wasn't prepared for that was a little bit less than encouraging and exciting about becoming and taking over Speed the Light for the state of Michigan is me and my husband got a little bit of a deeper glimpse into the nitty gritty of the giving of the churches in our district. And I just want you to appreciate that your pastor prioritizes missions because there are a lot of Assemblies of God churches in our state that aren't doing that. And I'm praying and me and my husband are working hard as the Speed the Light directors to partner with the Spirit of God to say, hey, this has to be in our blood. This has to be a part of our DNA. This is not an option. Me and my husband are youth and young adults pastors and we tell our students every single week, when it comes to missions, you have two options and it's to give or to go. That's it. There is no option to not do anything. There is no option to sit out. There is no option not to care. There is no option to turn away. We have a mandate. We are a denomination. We are a fellowship built on the priority of giving and going. Are you guys with me? So come on, can we just thank Pastor Ben for making this a priority in this house? I love when, when Pastor Bruce came up. I, I love you. He used to say, raise your hands. We're just going to ask for blessings. I said, okay, I'm in the right place tonight. Like, I'm here for blessings. And for a second, I thought, oh, did somebody not tell him this was the giving service tonight? Because, I mean, they're asking for blessing, but I'm going to ask them to actually give something. And right there in the moment, I just began to remind myself, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but some of you tonight, you are going to get so blessed but your blessing tonight is going to come in a breaking. And I know that that's so ironic that when we hear blessing, we think of receiving. But I want to tell you something. I, I whispered to uh, my friend Chandler. She's our admin assistant. She's here with me tonight. Uh, I forgot that Pastor Jeff Bassett was with you on Sunday. And I have the, the privilege of working with Pastor Jeff. He's the missions pastor in Mount Hope. Me and my husband are the next gen directors. And I said, oh my gosh. These poor people, they heard from Pastor Jeff on Sunday. They're going to hear from me tonight. They're going to feel like they're not saved unless they go home and sell every possession they have. Because I know, I didn't hear the message, but I believe that Pastor Jeff brought some Holy Spirit conviction on Sunday. And I intend on doing exactly the same thing tonight. So if you aren't there on Sunday, don't worry. The Lord did not miss out on you. And if Pastor Jeff broke you on Sunday, I'm going to crush whatever little pieces are left. Okay, so let's just get ready to be blessed and broken tonight. Um, but no, seriously, um, I'm sure that pastor Jeff probably touched on this or you could just pick it up from him, um, from listening to him, but Mount Hope church, me and my husband have been there for a little over two years. And, um, one thing, pretty much the only thing that we knew about Mount Hope before we, we, um, started working there was they were known as a giving church. 
Um, we've heard all about how Mount Hope is a tap-giving church, and, and when we came in, that was a part of our interview. They're, what do you think about missions, and what do you think about giving, and we want the next generation giving. And, um, and I have to honestly say that in the past two years at Mount Hope, me and my husband have never been so stretched to be so generous. We have given more in our two years of being at Mount Hope than we have ever given. In fact, this morning, today was payday. Can I get an amen? And me and my husband sat down and looked at our bank account together. And, I, and he was like, um, babe, where's all of our money? And I was like, well, honey, you were feeling very generous this month. And I began to scroll through all of the cash apps that he sent people and uh, all of the missions things that he gave to. And, and I don't say that, but I say, we have never been so blessed and we have never been so generous. And so I want somebody to be encouraged tonight. Your pastor, I know this. I just met him and I know this. He doesn't just prioritize missions for the people that the money's going to, even though that is a huge part of it. He prioritizes mission because he wants to get you into the blessing. There is a part of your Christian walk. There is a part of the blessing that God has in store for you that will not be unlocked until you become a generous giver. And I love that your pastor cares about you so much enough to talk about the tough subjects, to get up here and say, hey, you need to give until it hurts. Because he doesn't just care about the people on the other side of the money. He cares about the heart that it's coming from, right? Am I right, Pastor Ben? Okay, good. Amen. Okay, well, then I'm going to jump right into it. Um, they, they asked me for the kids, like, it's 35 to 45 minutes. And I was like, listen, I am Pentecostal and Italian and a woman. If you gave me two hours, I would scream at you for two hours about the spirit of God. So I'm going to jump right into it. So we don't get out of here. We'll get out at least a little before 10 PM tonight. So just hold on. I'm just kidding. I know your kids have school tomorrow. So why missions? Why missions? When I began to think about trying to narrow down all of the reasons for why we should be giving to missions, ultimately, this is what it boiled down to. I heard an author say it like this before, that Jesus asks a lot of us, but Jesus also came to make things simple, right? And the Pharisees, and the, they always tried to trip Jesus up into making it seem like he was making things complicated and bringing all these laws. But here's ultimately, I love how I heard it said before, that in the Old Testament, at the very beginning, there was like thousands and thousands, maybe not thousands, hundreds and hundreds of laws and regulations and codes that the people had to live by. And the people were messing it up so bad. So then Moses was like, hey, okay, let me try to simplify it for you. Let me bring it down to 10. Can we at least try to focus on like the 10 commandments here, okay? So he, he, he reigns in it a little bit. He's like, let me make it a little bit more simple for you. If you could just not do these 10 things, we'd be off to a fantastic start with your relationship with the Lord. Then Jesus comes and we're still messing up the 10 commandments. We're still messing. And Jesus is saying, okay, okay, okay. Let me break it down even more into two things. Really what everything boils down to in the New Testament is the great commandment and the great commission. Jesus has said, let me make it simple for you. Yes, there's ways to live. Yes, and I want you to do all that. But if I could just get you to understand the great commandment and the great commission, I am positive that the spirit of God all on his own is gonna work out all of those things inside of you with fear and trembling. And here is why I believe in missions, right? Because I firmly believe, this is why at SPIN, that's our student ministries, one of the, no, the top focus of our ministry, the number one way that we, that we disciple students students, that we're trying to get students, is giving. Why? Because if we can understand how to step into the generosity of God, you will fulfill the great commandment and the great commission all in one. Yeah. 
If we can understand giving, if we can understand generosity, we will be the most like Jesus. John 3.16 says that God gave his son from the rip, from the start. Jesus is all about giving. And if we want to just, just scratch the surface of the great commandment and the great commission, we have to give. I put in my notes to pray right now, but I don't have time to pray because we have a lot of stuff to get to tonight, okay? So turn to your neighbor and say, hold on. Turn to your second choice neighbor and say, I'm sorry that you were my second choice neighbor, but get ready because tonight's about to be good. Okay. So I have a lot of scripture verses for you tonight because money, I don't want you to walk away and be like, it was just all her opinions. She was just telling us to give and it's just in Pastor Ben's head and Pastor Bruce's head and Pastor Rachel's head and now Joanna. And this is, no, 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 no. This is so godly. This is so biblical. I am going to overload you with scripture verses. So I hope you brought a notebook tonight. Um, if you didn't, pull out your phone, turn it on airplane mode so you can't get all of your text messages and emails and pull out your notes tab because I'm hoping that I'm gonna give you so many scripture verses you can just digest them and read them for the rest of the week. I'm going to start out real nice and heavy with Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31, a passage entitled The Rich Young Ruler. You ready? I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat on anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all of your possessions and give the, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up a house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world, and in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. There's a few thoughts that initially come to my mind when I read that passage. And before I go into some of my points, I want to ask a question that if you're like me, when you read this passage, it's 
Probably the number one question that comes up, I know there's a lot of adults in the room, so maybe not for you, but I'm used to teaching to youth students. And one of the first questions that I would get is, what does it mean for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? Like, Jesus is pretty good at using parables, right? Like, he's usually really clear with his illustrations and his analogies. Like, he's one of the best storytellers. And then we get to Mark chapter 10, and you're like, I don't understand. That was a really weird illustration, Jesus. Uh, And when I read it, I thought the same exact thing. So I did some research and looked online. And while theologians have many debates about this, I thought all their answers were good and all of them make sense in my message. So I'm just going to share all of them. But my favorite is that a lot of theologians know that there is a certain gate or opening in a wall of, in the wall of Jerusalem called the needle gate. And this needle gate was a very small opening at the bottom of a large gate that sometimes people would use to sneak into the city or, or to spy. It was a very small needle gate. And they said that in order for a camel to be able to fit through the eye or the opening of the needle, he would have to strip down everything that he was carrying, everything that was on his back, get on his knees, and then would be able to fit through. Come on, that'll preach all on its own. That Jesus is saying it's going to be impossible for us to get into the kingdom of heaven unless we are willing to let go of everything that means something to us, to let go of our possessions, to let go of our greed, to let go of our money, to let go of the things that are important to us. And then when we already feel humbled to get down on our knees and to say, it's not about me, it's not about my position, and it's not about my possessions, only then... Can we access the kingdom of God? And even still, another person argued and said, actually, they just wrote it wrong, and it's supposed to say cable, not camel. Have you ever heard this, Pastor Ben? I've never heard it either. Either way, I thought that was still a great illustration of trying to put a cable through the eye of a needle, that it's nearly impossible. Either way, Jesus is saying, listen, for those of us that have a lot of money, it's not going to be easy for us to get into the kingdom of God. And so naturally I begin to think, well, well, why? That seems like of all of the heart issues, of all of the murder, of all of the hate, of all of the deceit, of all of the things that could grip our heart, why does Jesus go out of his way to say the people who are really going to have a tough time getting in, the people who are really going to struggle to understand my kingdom are the people who have money? And as I began to think through this, it it got even worse for me. Before I get to the answer, I also realized that I was a part of the problem. And so one of the points I have today is that we are the rich young ruler. I don't know if you're like me, but when I read this passage, I'm like, well, Bill Gates is going to have a real tough time getting in. Oprah, she's going to have a struggle, right? And I begin to think of millionaires and billionaires and people in Hollywood and Beverly Hills. And and I'm beginning to think of the elite of the elite until I really started diving into this call of giving to this call of generosity and reading about it. And do you know that if you make an annual household income of more than $30,000, you are in the top 5% richest people in the entire world? And if you make more than $50,000 annually in your household, you are in the top 1% of the global wealth. When we read about the rich young ruler, he's talking to me and you. He's talking to America. 
I tell our students all the time, some of the poorest people in this city, in this country, in this state are so far beyond richer than most of how this world is living. I read a statistic recently that said in America, we spend more annually on trash bags than half the world does on all of their goods combined. We spend more annually on our lavender scented, extra stretchy, hefty trash bags annually than half of the world does combined. And listen, some of you in here, you're like, Pastor Ben, never bring her back. She is making me feel terrible. I'm going home right now and throwing all my trash out in Walmart bags. But here's the good part is this is where the blessing comes in is when we know. We have to know it's not going to be enough one day. Pastor Ben, people like me, people that come in to speak about you, we love you too much to have you get before the King of Kings and say, I didn't know you were talking about me. But Jesus is saying that me and you, we are the rich young ruler. We need to be so attentive. My husband had the opportunity to go to Kenya, Africa about a month ago. And said he did nothing but three things on the entire trip. Cry, repent, and thank Jesus. He just cried, repented, and thanked Jesus. He said he was in one of the villages, and the driver was taking them, taking them to the churches. And he saw people on the side of the road picking up sticks and doing something. And he asked them, what are they doing? And he thought maybe they were making a craft to sell or building. And he said, oh, they're making toothbrushes out of those sticks. Toothbrushes. They're pulling at the ends of the stick and tying them together. And then Peter went to their church to preach. And he said, I didn't know what to say to them. I didn't even know what to say to them. Because they're sitting in worship. He said the women in the village, they get flogged by the men in their village if they don't go get enough water. And with fresh wounds on their arms, lifting them up, declaring the goodness of God. Come on, does that just shatter you? Does that, that breaks me. I think about all the temperamental times that I step into worship and I didn't get my way. I didn't get a better blessing. I didn't get the, 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 the a provision of God that I thought. And I fold my arms during worship and we're talking 90% of the world makes significantly less money than us living in mud huts. My husband said he went to visit one of the women from the church and she offered him his, her her bowl of oatmeal or porridge or whatever it was and and he talked to the translator and the translator said that's the only food she has for today but you're a man of God to her and she can't fathom doing anything but blessing you with everything that she has man me and you are the rich young ruler you ask why is it going to be hard for me and you to get into heaven why is it going to be hard for me to get into heaven because i have money number one because an obsession with money shows that your focus is on earth an obsession with money shows that our focus is on earth matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 24 this is jesus talking about money and possessions it says don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal, store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Your eye is like the lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think 
you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. I don't know about you, but especially as a youth pastor um, and somebody who was just in youth ministry a few years ago myself, I heard those middle verses, your eyes like the lamp of the body, used completely out of context in giving. And, and, and we can use it for the sake of illustration for other sermons, such as be careful what you look at and be careful the TV content that you look at or what you're looking at on your computer screen. And, but then when I, when I was rereading this again, even for this message, I forgot that that verse was right in the middle of this passage and it made me begin to think, what is that? Why is, he, why is he talking about money and where our eyes are all in the same passage and then ends it with you can't serve two masters? And it just began to show me that your money, your views on money, show me what you're looking at. Our views on money, people have said it before, show me your checkbook and I'll show you your priorities. Your money shows me, my money shows me where my eyes are truly looking. Because if I'm looking up at heaven, I'm not thinking about wasting my money here on earth. The only thing that me and you can bring to heaven with us when we die are other people. The only thing we can bring with us are other souls. So if our eyes are truly fixed on heavenly things like the Bible tells us to, then we're not, money is not going to mean anything to us because money means nothing in the kingdom of God. But when I look at somebody that is obsessed with possessions, that is obsessed with materialism, that is obsessed with comfort, that is obsessed with having three, four jobs so they can provide X, Y, Z, uh, I'm looking at somebody who has their eyes fixed on the now. And I think, and I know, I'm, I am a human too. It, when people, I hate when preachers say, they're like, well, earth is just a blip on the radar. And I'm like, well, it doesn't feel like a blip, okay? It feels like we're going to be here forever, especially when we're in tough seasons. It doesn't feel like this is just going to be a blip on our radar. Now, if you're a parent, maybe you understand that a little bit more because it feels like your kids grow up in the blink of an eye. Me and my husband um, are newly foster parents. Um, and we, just about five weeks ago, and we're given a 17-month-old baby girl and a seven-week-old baby boy uh, that is at our home. And we had to take like a 24-hour overnight trip earlier this week. My mom uh, was watching the baby, and I sounded like such a mom when I got back. I was like, he's bigger. <laughs> I'm like, it's been 24 hours. And I'm like, I think he's in the next size clothing, right? So maybe if you're a parent, you get it that time moves fast. But for everybody else, that's frustrating to you. You're like, I know, I know I'm supposed to be focused on heaven, but it's so hard not to be focused in the here and the now. And an illustration that helps me sometimes to think about the fact that this truly only is our temporary home and how foolish it is to be so obsessed with our possessions and our money and our materials here on earth. That would be like me and you going on vacation and blowing all of our money, buying decorations for that home, putting in an in-ground pool in like a home that we're staying at for a week, clearing out our bank accounts, making that the absolute best week of our life. We're eating like kings and queens and we're spending all that money in the here and now and it's a week. I remember when me and my husband first got married, we lived in married housing uh, at our Christian college for four months. So it's an assemblies of God thing. Huh? 
no, uh, Valley Forge Christian College, Assemblies of God School on the East Coast. And um, we basically lived in an extra large dorm room together. And we thought it was great because we were newlyweds. And uh, my husband always jokes, but it's true, that our, um, our bedroom door was a bifolding door, like a pantry. So people would come over and be like, oh, what do you have to eat? Oh, that's your bedroom. Okay. So, but we lived there for four months and I was so excited to be like a wife and all this stuff. And that apartment was garbage. And I was like, I literally said this. And now I look back. I was like, mom, I think we need to put in a new vanity. It's really not great. Like I really always wanted granite in my bathroom. And she's like, Joanna, you're going to live here for four months. Like, this is not your home. Like you are renting. Like, and then even every apartment we go to, I'm like, I just want to paint. And I want to do, because in the moment it feels like I want to make this as comfortable as I can. I want to make this all up to my standards. And now we look back and I'm like, I'm so glad that I did not waste money putting granite countertops into an apartment that I had for a year. Right? Wait till you're in something permanently. When our time here on earth, it is so easy to get comfortable. It is so easy to be so focused on our pleasures and our comforts. And we have to keep our eyes. The eye is the lamp of the body. If you're focused on heaven, I promise you your focus on money is going to go down. To the person in this room that just has a pit in their stomach because you are just a spender at heart. First of all, sister, I hear you. But second of all, you can do it too. To the person in this room that buys stuff on Amazon every other day, right? You can do it. To the students in this room, you can do it. To the children in this room giving to BGMC, you can do it. Everybody has something to give if our eyes are focused on the right thing. Where there is a will, there is a way. We have to get our eyes off of our temporary life on earth if we ever want to have the generous spirit of God. The second reason why it's going to be hard for people like me and you to get into heaven simply because of our money is because Jesus knows that with selfishness in our hearts, it will be difficult for us to fulfill the great commandment. Jesus knows that was selfishness, and I'm changing it from your to ours because I'm talking to myself. Jesus knows that with selfishness in our hearts, it will be difficult for us to fulfill the great commandment. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, again in the New Living Translation says this. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions. Come on, somebody. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. 
Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver, two, two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And Jesus asked the man, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Come on, my first thought when I read this was the priest walked him by, the temple assistant walked him by, and I have just enough, just enough grace inside of me to give these two men the benefit of the doubt that they were legitimately on their way to do something good. I believe that. I believe that they were genuinely on their way to go teach or help in the synagogue or do something good. Come on, can I just, can I just talk to you for a second that in the church, and I'm talking capital C, church, right? The enemy is not trying to distract me and you with bad things. The enemy is trying to distract us with good things that keep us from doing God things. He is not distracting us in the church from doing the God things that he's called us by asking us to run wild in sin. The enemy knows that if he can just keep me and you busy doing mediocre good things for the kingdom of God, we will never truly accomplish the great things. And I know too many churches, and again, I say this with a broken heart, not a con condemning spirit, who are doing a lot of good things. I know of a lot of youth ministries that are doing a lot of good things, right? They're doing fine arts and they're being a part of camp and they're doing Bible quiz and they're doing small groups and they're doing Sunday school and they're doing events and, and, and churches that are doing community outreach and they're doing worship grade and they're doing building projects and they're, doing, they're preaching the word. They're, they're doing all really good things. But if the enemy can keep us so busy doing good things that we forget to be a giving church, he has kept us bound. He has kept us running in circles. I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before the throne one day and say I was so busy doing good things. And he's saying, but what about the one thing I really asked you to do? What about giving so people can know me? What about the great commission? What about the great commandment? Come on, we were so good at our protests. Come on, we were so good at making the church known what we hate. How about it's time for the church to be known for what we love, and that's broken people. The church loves broken people, and the number one way that God has equipped you to do that is to give. He has given us all resources, and, and I'm coming to an end, and I'm getting ahead of myself. God has given us the resources. The thing that I love about Jesus is he never asks us to give something that he hasn't first put inside of us. There is a generous spirit that was born inside of each of you the second you were reborn. The second you became born again and the spirit of God flooded your heart and flooded your soul, there was a generous spirit that was inside of you. But we have to be intentional about waking it up and using it and exercising and walking in our generous spirit. The Samaritan walked by and he had compassion. I tell our students all the time, if I could get you excited tonight about Gishin, about Gishins, if I could make you excited tonight about missions, you'll probably give tonight or Sunday or the next opportunity that you have to give. If I could get you passionate about giving and missions tonight, you'll probably be a faithful giver for a few months, maybe even a few years. But if I could get you burdened tonight for missions, if you would really let the Spirit of God 
break you tonight, then you're going to be a generation, you're going to be a, a generous giver for the rest of your life, and I believe into the generations below you. I'm not trying to get us excited tonight about giving. I'm not trying to make us passionate. I'm trying to let the Holy Spirit use me to break a part of your heart that you've kept off, off limits to him. Because there is a blessing that comes in the breaking tonight. Not just for the people on the other side of your dollars, but for you. Worship team, you can come up. When I read Luke chapter 10 about the most important commandment, when I read about the great, the great commandment, when I read about the good Samaritan, one of my first questions is like the Jewish person that asked Jesus. He said, well, tell me, who is my neighbor? Right? Trying to maybe skirt around and you guys can play whenever you're ready because I'll sound more spiritual and the spirit will come faster and it is just better with the keys. You say, who is my neighbor? And the more that I thought about it, I want you to understand that it's, it, I want you to first know that I'm with you. It is hard to care about people that you don't know until you realize that they're children of God. It's hard to care about people that me and you don't know until we realize that they're the children of God. I forget where I read this, but I was reading a book probably a few years ago and um, the, the book didn't say it exactly like this, but, but through reading it and, and through letting the Lord take me on a journey of really caring about the lost and broken people in a way that I never had before, the Lord kind of gave me this vision that broke me, um, which is why I know for a fact I will spend the rest of my life trying as hard as I can um, to let God make me the most generous person I can be. And that's this, that um, if you're a parent in the room, can you just wave at me for a second? I love that there's parents in the room tonight. Um, any parent knows, well, let me say this. The Lord has been taking me on a few year journey of viewing him as father first. For those of us that grew up in the church and for those of us that are really familiar with the Bible, we know that Jesus has so many titles. He is creator, he is ruler, he is king of kings, he's prince of peace, he is savior. And he's father. And he's been taking me on this journey that is changing the way that I view him, that is changing the way that I view scripture. And that's yes, to always behold him as those things, but to know for me, he's always gonna be father first. I remember when he gave me that picture and President Barack Obama was in office and he said, do you think that his two little girls, yes, he's the president, yes, he's the commander of the free world, yes, he holds so much power and so many titles, but to those two little girls, they are the only people in the world that don't have to make an appointment, that can barge right into his office and sit right on his lap because to them, while he holds all those titles, he's always just first dad. He's always gonna be father first. And that, that could be a whole nother sermon for the purpose of giving. This is what the Lord revealed to me, is that with the purest of intentions and a devoted heart, I have spent my life trying to please my father. And like I said earlier, I do all the, the good things that I know how to do to please my father. I, I remember being on worship team and I, I'm an AG baby. So I remember doing Bible quiz and fine arts and, and starting a Bible club and, and reading my Bible and learning how to do my devotions. And, and then now that I'm a, a pastor, a youth pastor, uh, me and my husband are like, okay, we want to make our father happy. So we're going to have the best youth ministry we know how to have. And 
We're going to have all the most up-to-date worship services with all of the newest songs. And, and we're going to go to all the conferences. And, and if you're paying attention, the church right now, with I truly believe with the best of intentions, is doing a lot to try to please the Father. But anybody that is a parent in this room knows that if somebody really wanted to bless you, they would bless your kids. But if you're a mom in this room, and for whatever reason, let's say that your baby was starving, and your baby didn't have access to clean water, and your children were just taken away to be sold as sex traffickers, to be sold as sex slaves. If your children had no clothes, if they were wrongfully put in prison, if your children were being persecuted, if your children had any need in the world, and somebody who had endless resources came to you and said, I want to bless you, here's a designer bag. Here's a designer car. Here's vacations. Here, does that mean anything to you as a parent? If you really loved me, you would take care of my babies. That's how you can show me that you love me. Because right now, and I'm not saying this to twist your arm. I'm here to present real facts to you because it's our, uh, it's our obligation as the church to know this. Let me just tell you a few things that are happening around the world right now that organizations like Speed the Light are working day and night to eliminate. That every time we give our money, we are speeding the light of Jesus into some of the darkest places of the world. Speed the Light is partnering with an organization right now called World Serve who is working overtime to help fix the water crisis. There is currently 800 144 million people on this planet that do not have access to clean water. 2,000 children under, under the age of five die from water-related diseases every day. That's equivalent to nine busloads of kindergartners every single day, every single day dying because they do not have access to clean water. In the past 10 years, diarrhea from waterborne illnesses has killed more children than armed conflicts since World War II. Globally, 443 million school days are lost each year due to water-related diseases. Globally, at least 2 billion people use a drinking water source contaminated with feces. 4.8 million people are currently enslaved in sex trafficking. 4.8 million people. I looked it up and the population of Spring Lake and Ferrysburg together is 5,500 people. That's 900, 900 times the population of Ferrysburg and Spring Lake combined people right now that are being held against their will in human trafficking. And there are 7,000, up to 7,000 unreached people groups in this globe who have never heard the name of Jesus. Can I read a verse to you before I end that just grips me at night? It's Ezekiel 16, 49. And it said, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and underconcerned. They didn't help the poor and needy. Overfed and underconcerned. Come on, if I'm just honest, when I'm looking at America, when I look at us as a nation, that's what I think. Overfed 
and under-concerned with what's going on to the world around us. And Jesus is begging us. He's begging us in nearly every single book of the Bible to care about the poor, to care about the needy, to care about the lost. You say you're sharing a lot of facts about some, some practical needs, Joanna, but I thought missions was all about spreading the gospel. Missions is all about spreading the gospel. And I'm so glad that for the 844 million people who don't have water now, I want to get the gospel inside of them so they can get to heaven and be far in better places than us in heaven and never experience that pain again. But for now, sometimes you have to feed someone's belly before you can feed their soul. And when you give to missions in the assemblies of God, students, when you give to Speed the Light, children, when you give to BGMC, you are equipping missionaries all around this world who are bringing the Bible in one hand and a jug of clean water in the other. And if that doesn't speak of the goodness of God, I don't know what does. I challenge our students all the time. Pastor Bruce said it, and we joke about it, and I'm guilty of it myself. It's hard for us to give, a, uh, give up one white mocha latte from Starbucks, yet that would feed a, a child water for like an entire month. It only costs about $50,000 for WorldServe to put a water well in a community that can serve up to six to 7,000 people for years to come. When my husband was in Africa and speaking with officials, they said our number one strategy to end violence in Africa is to get water to people. Because that's what tribes, they're going in, they're killing each other. There's violence and there's harm because there's no water. There's no water. Me and you, oh, please know that I'm talking to me here. We come into the presence of God and we're mad that we don't have a second car or a third car or a bigger house or a fifth bedroom. And there's people in Kenya right now lifting up hands to God and have no idea where their water's coming from tomorrow. And me and you get the honor to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. If you're like me, I've gone through seasons where reading about this stirs up more anger in me than it does inspiration. Because I look at God and I'm like, God, why are you doing this? You are a good God. Why are you watching these people suffer? But we cannot read the Bible and deny that Jesus says, listen, you are my hands. You are my feet. If I'm gonna get to them, if I'm gonna give to them, it's gonna be through you. So we're waiting on God and God is waiting on us. And he's saying, I've given you the resource. I've given you. And some of us in this room, even now, you're like, I hear you, Joanna, but you don't know my financial situation. And I love that Pastor Jeff said the hard news for me. I, everybody in this room can make a little adjustment to say, I need to up my giving. This isn't an option. The option, the, the, question, the only question when it comes to giving is not if I should give, it's how much I should give. It's saying, Jesus, you can break me. You can stretch me. Come on, students in this room, you can ask mom and dad to work. You can get creative. Don't tell me that you don't have money. You have a resources. You are one of the most creative generations on this planet. You don't have a job. Get on Instagram. Get on Facebook and use it for something good. Post about World Serve. Start a fundraising campaign. Go door to door. I've heard of youth ministries literally going out and buying a pack of water bottles for $4 and going door to door selling ice cold water for a dollar and say, I'm selling water for water and I'm going to give all these proceeds. Don't tell me that you don't have a resource. Don't tell me that you don't have something to give for the Lord to multiply. He wants to use you. The Gateway Church, I believe it. I believe that in 2020, you are going to be one of the top giving churches in Michigan. I believe it. 
God is doing something. There's already a heart in your pastor. All you have to do is follow. And can I tell you that it's gonna be so much easier if you do it together, right? How powerful it is when you're with your spouse, when you're with your kids, when you're with your life groups, when you're with people from this church and you're saying, hey, let's all come together and and I'll make something super cheap. We don't have to go out tonight because I know that we're all saving for missions. Students, you can go knocking on door to door together. We can do it together to be the hands and feet of Jesus. My final point tonight is everyone has something to give. Everyone has something to give when it comes to missions so people can know Jesus, so people can have access to clean water, so we can rescue women and children and families from human trafficking, so when there's natural disasters, an organization called Convoy of Hope can be the first boots on the ground offering relief and then handing them the Spirit of God with it. Come on, me and you have a part to play. Matthew chapter 25, I'm not gonna read it for the sake of time, and we're gonna come up to these altars for the last 10 minutes of tonight. Matthew chapter 25 is the parable of the sheep and the goats. And I've heard it said before that that this parable really was spoken chronologically, one of the last few parables that Jesus gave before going to the cross. And, And I've heard preachers say before that we should almost take these parables just a little bit more seriously, almost as if Jesus is saying, hey, I'm about to go, I'm about to go, I need to get the most important thing out. And that's this, is that what you've done, when you gave water to somebody who was thirsty, you did it unto me. When you gave food to somebody who was hungry, you did it unto me. When you clothed somebody who was naked, you did it unto me. Gateway Church, I'm not asking you to bless people you don't know, I'm asking you to bless your heavenly father by blessing his children and everyone in this room tonight and this year has something to give. I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna let the band play and I'm just gonna invite you to the altar because here's the reality, is that I'm not here to talk you into giving. Because if I can talk you into giving, someone can talk you out of giving. I need the Spirit of God to break your heart tonight. I need the Spirit of God to break my heart tonight. So we are going to end this night coming up to the altars, and we are going to ask the Spirit of God to break us and to give us a burden for the loss like we've never had before, to give him a broken heart for him. So can we stand as I pray? And then when I say amen, come on, and I'm looking to the older people in the room to lead this charge tonight, to be the first on your knees, to say, Jesus, use me, break me. If you can get it to me, you can get it through me. Jesus, speak to us tonight. Jesus, break our hearts in ways that we've never allowed you to break us before. Lord, I pray that tonight the shackles of greed, that the shackles of selfishness, God, that the shackles of materialism would not bind the people of the Gateway Church. Lord, I pray that tonight your spirit will put a stamp on this church as a generous church, as a church who cares for the lost, who cares for the hungry, who cares for the broken, who wants to be your hands and feet at all costs, Jesus. Speak to us tonight, God. Break us tonight and use us to reach this world for your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.